Well, Oregon was in the hunt for the college football playoff before a couple of late season stumbles last year, and their schedule this year actually gives them an easier path than last season. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks Saturday edition. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. We just hit 2,700 subs on YouTube. 2,700. I thank you all very much for that. And as a reminder... It is my goal to get that number by the time the season starts to 3,000. Can we do it? All you got to do, hit subscribe down below if you have not already. Over half of the people that watch the show on YouTube are not subscribed to the channel. It's really easy. Let's keep the momentum rolling here. Appreciate all of you. So we'll talk about college football playoff in the context of Oregon's schedule. We'll talk about Bo Nix and whether or not he could come back to Oregon one day as a non-player, obviously. More on that later, and then uh, Pac-12 realignment and media stuff, because I have so many thoughts. <laughs> In fact, I have an entire show where I talk about all that. See that down there? Whoops, wrong side. I'm not weatherman. See that down there on YouTube, that watch next, locked on Pac-12? I host that too. A lot of thoughts. I'll get to some of them later. Definitely not all of them, though. Shameless plug for another show. All right, so... Uh, this came in via the mailbag, which you can always be a part of. YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open from user user dash XP2IH2GS1X. I'm going to go out on a big giant limb and say that was probably randomly generated from YouTube. Question. Do you like this year's schedule more than last year's? Which one do you think is more difficult? Two interesting questions in there. Let's answer the second one first. Which one is more difficult? So, first of all, to arrive at the conclusion of which schedule is easier, 2022 or 2023, we start with the non-conference games. And by any measure, the non-conference games this year for the Ducks are much easier than a season ago. When we went Georgia as the first game, Eastern Washington, and then BYU, who was ranked 12th at the time. They ended up having, I believe, an 8-5 and five season a year ago as an independent. They are now members of the Big 12, but solid team there. Oregon beat them pretty handily at Autzen Stadium. That was a big-time statement game for the Ducks. Kind of turned the season around. So the non-conference is significantly easier this year for two reasons. Number one, your Power 5 non-conference opponent is not going to be the national champion in 2023. I am sorry, Texas Tech fans, but let's all be realistic and say, eh, that's not going to happen. So that's the first part. of it. The second part that makes it easier is you don't have to play a Power 5 team first. You get a tune-up game, right? Just like Paul Cruz suggested to the warden in the longest yard, eh, you need a tune-up game where you play Appalachian State or somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That movie came out before, I believe, something else with that particular school happened. They beat a certain team that wears maize and blue. 
I remember that. Anyway, so Portland State at Texas Tech, Hawaii. That is objectively easier than at Georgia, Eastern Washington, and then BYU. Now, in 2022, the conference splits went as follows, and there are a couple of reasons that I lean towards 2023 being more favorable for the Ducks. That doesn't mean that this year's schedule doesn't have challenges. It absolutely does. But the home games in 2022, you had three heavy hitters and one easy one, right? Played Stanford at home. That game was 31-3 to at the half. Never really close. UCLA, they were a top 10 team at the time. Utah, they were a top 15 team at the time. I think they were top 10, actually. I don't remember specifically. But anyway, they were very good. They were the Pac-12 champions eventually. Washington, of course, was ranked 25th. Ended the year ranked in the top 10. So those were your home games. That's a pretty tough slate of home games. Oregon went 3-1 and there in Pac-12 play at home. Road games a year ago, Washington State, Arizona, Cal, Colorado, and Oregon State. Again, there are some tough moments there, but overall, I think you had an easier schedule on the road uh, a season ago compared to what you had uh, at, at home. And that's ideally how you would like it to work out. But in 2023, the way this shapes up for the Ducks, your home games are Colorado, Washington State, Cal, And then USC and Oregon State are the final two home games in the last three weeks of the year. So three games that you're going to be a sizable favorite in, maybe less so against Washington State, but Colorado Cal should be pretty big favorites there. USC, that game will be a pick 'em, assuming everybody's healthy. Oregon State, Ducks open as a seven and a half point favorite against the Beavs at Austin Stadium, who haven't won there in Eugene since I think 2007 was the last time they did that. Hopefully that trend continues this season. So Road games for the conf- in conference this year, Stanford, Washington, Utah, and Arizona State. Now, biggest takeaways here. First of all, you're playing five conference home games instead of four. Pac-12 and conference scheduling in general is very cyclical. With the matchups and where you play, you could, if you really sat down and mapped it out, like fully predict, basically, who you are going to play, right? You can't pick when. But what matchups you're going to have and where those matchups occur is dependent upon what happened the prior season and whatnot. It's to make stuff easier at, at the conference level. So your road games are four one year, five another year, and they go back and forth for a conference like the Pac-12 that plays nine conference games. So having an extra conference game at home, I think that's an edge in or a point for 2023 being an easier schedule. You have an easier non-conference schedule. I think your home games are easier in conference. The likelihood that you drop one to someone not named uh, USC or Oregon State is pretty low. I expect them to win at least one of those games against the Trojans and the Beavs. So I think 5-0 and at home in conference play is very doable. Not going to be easy because Oregon State and USC are good football teams, but it's certainly there for the Ducks to do that. Whereas a year ago, you had UCLA, Utah, Washington. You had three heavy hitters this year. You only have two, and you can take care of business, I think, uh, easier at home. Now, your road games this year are indeed much tougher. I think that's the one caveat here, and that's having to go at Washington and at Utah. That is pretty tough. But the other two road games, and remember, you've only got four in conference play. You got the Texas Tech game being on the road. Okay, fair enough. But Oregon's a favorite there. They were a big underdog uh, against Georgia a season ago. 
at Stanford, at Arizona State, yeah, those should be wins. At Washington, at Utah, those are pretty tough. So overall, right, big picture explanation here. I think the schedule sets up better to have a path to the playoff than it did a season ago because Oregon was probably never going to win that game against Georgia. I think we all understand that after the fact. So you were always going to be starting with one loss and having to win out from there. But the, there, there's, there are two big reasons why the playoff is more accessible for Oregon with this year's schedule. And the first part of it is they're not as likely to start with a non-conference loss in embarrassing fashion that drops them out of the top 25. I can guarantee you that won't happen. They could lose the game against Texas Tech. Don't get me wrong. That is a good up-and-coming football team that was an eight-win bowl game victorious team a season ago against a team out of the SEC in Ole Miss that has a pretty good coach in, in Lane Kiffin. That is not a team we can afford to overlook. But going 3-0 in non-conference play puts you in a better position. And then when you have a loss in the middle of the season, which Oregon probably will, you're not immediately removed from the college football playoff conversation. So I think that's part of it. And then I think the home and road splits even out just enough, or not even out, uh, work themselves out just enough for Oregon to have an easier schedule than they did a season ago. And schedules absolutely positively matter. And I think Oregon sets up well enough here for them to get to the playoff. I think it's easier than it was a year ago. Your road games are tougher. Absolutely. They, you, you have two tough road games in particular against Utah and Washington, but I think playing Arizona State is easier than playing Arizona. Playing Stanford should not be too much of a problem in, in year one with them. You get USC, you get Oregon State at home. You just really need, if, if, you, hold, if you hold your own at home, you go 5-0, and split with Utah and Washington on the road and beat Texas Tech, you're in the Pac-12 championship game playing for the right to go to the college football playoff in the final year that'll be uh, the four-team format here. So I think their path is much, much clearer because they've got a little bit more wiggle room and they've just got uh, some easier matchups as well. But which one do I like more? Which schedule do I like more? Well, I have to answer that and a question about Bo Nix and his future with the Ducks. But I have a question for all of you. If you haven't checked out FanDuel yet, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, what else would you be doing? It's the summer months. It's what some describe as the dog days of sports. I wholeheartedly disagree because I'm a big baseball fan. And you can take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks, You'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you can spend on everything from the money line over under, who's going to hit the first home run, all in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So go check out FanDuel America's number one sports book. Sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League baseball march madness is right around the corner if you want to win your office pool you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the locked on college basketball podcast every monday andy Patton and isaac shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball keep you up to date on the ncaa tournament bubble and get you ready for the upcoming week of games from the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
Nice, clean, refreshing second segment sip with Oregon water, which, by the way, oh my gosh. All you Oregonians out there listening, or most of you at least, should understand when you go outside of Oregon or Washington and you try to drink tap water, it is terrible. It is awful. It is no good. It is very bad. I cannot drink it. It's got to go through a Brita and it's got to be ice cold. Oregon water may be the best part about being back up in the Pacific Northwest for the summer is you can drink tap water and it's really, really good. And the number of times... I have had people say, it's just water. No, it is not. Absolutely. I will die on this hill. There are a lot of hills I'm willing to die on. That Pac-12 presidents and presidents in general vote on realignment, not athletic directors. And that Oregon and Washington water is better than everywhere else in the world. And it's not particularly close. There is no no close second. I cannot drink straight up tap water outside of the PNW. So anyway. All right, uh, again, back to this here. But the second question, or I guess the first question that uh, our user friend asked earlier, do you like this year's schedule more than last? Yeah, I do. I, I do because I think it gives Oregon a better chance to get to the Pac-12 championship game, but also to get to the playoff. And I think that it's good enough to where if they go 11-1 and one and get and then win the Pac-12, yeah, they're into the playoff. A one-loss conference champion has yet to miss out on the college football playoff at this point in time at the Power 5 level. So I feel pretty confident in saying that. I like the schedule that they've got. You have some tough games. You're going to have big games, game day opportunities. Texas Tech, I think, will be a fun game, whereas Georgia was, you know, not so much fun. Like, that was just not enjoyable to watch uh, once, once the Bulldogs really got things going there. But you know, win or lose against Texas Tech, it'll be a more fun game to watch, and hopefully Oregon uh, ends up prevailing there. So Let's move on to Richard's question. And once again, mailbag is always open all summer, all year long. YouTube comments or Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. That's so many of you pop in there. I mean, we are we are into July now doing shows and the mailbag just keeps popping off. So let's get to Richard's question here. Spencer, I have a question about Bo's future. We all know that getting to and making it in the NFL is a roll of the dice depending on who drafts you and what system or coach great take. With his IQ and the success he has had, plus the character and leadership skills he has shown, do you think Coach Lanning is or has shown interest in getting him ready for a coaching position in the future? I wouldn't rule it out. I I would, however, say that it's pretty unlikely that a current player of Bo's caliber will end up back on Oregon staff one day. Because I think to your point, he would only do that if Dan Lanning were still the coach. But how long could Bo Nix's NFL career be? He might not be a starter right away, but let's say he gets drafted. He's a guy who's been kind of flying up draft boards and mock drafts and projections and all that sort of stuff. He could do himself a lot of favors in the NFL this year, I think, or for his NFL future, that is. I think that's one of the reasons that he came back to school, Right. Because Oregon can get to the playoff, can win a Pac-12 championship, you know, get rid of the stench of last year's unfortunate finish, but also he can help himself out in the process. And I think if he'd gone into the NFL draft last year, he's, you know, fourth round pick-ish, somewhere in there. He could be a first or second. I don't know. I I don't know about first. I I don't know if he could get to that level. But yeah, I could see him being a second or third round pick. Jalen Hurts was a, a second round pick and he had to transfer from Alabama because he got benched. 
He got beat out by Tua, and he went to be a second-round pick. Now he's really good. I'm not saying Bo Nix is Jalen Hurts. I'm saying that you don't have to be a world beater all the time to get taken in the second, third round in a quarterback-heavy league, in a draft that's going to have a lot of really good quarterbacks in it uh, as well. So I think he could bump up his draft stock a, a little bit there. But you know, if he goes into the NFL— he would have to come out of it, you know, either getting run out of it or, you know, God forbid, having some career ending injury or something like that in order for him to to consider going to coaching at a time where we know Lanning's still going to be the coach. Now, Dan Lanning could stay as Oregon's coach for, for the next 10 years. Bo Nix could play in the league for seven, come out. Yeah, then maybe he'd have a job ready and waiting for him there. But just from a timeline standpoint, I don't think it's particularly likely. You know, I mean, Mariota was taken second overall in 2015 NFL draft. And guess what? The coaches who he had ties to no longer there by the time he, you know, had the opportunity perhaps to to go into coaching when his NFL career is kind of, you know, starting to, to wind down a bit. I'm pretty sure he's still in the league uh, somewhere. He was on the Falcons and they didn't treat him very well, at least in my view, and, you know, really give him a fair shot. They're going with Desmond Ritter, like wh- whatever, that's, that's their choice. I did see that Mariota was on a... Uh, a Netflix documentary about being a quarterback in the league. It was like Mariota, Kirk Cousins, and forget who the other one was. But anyway, it looked interesting, and uh, I love that Mariota's name was up there. I thought it was like kind of random, to be honest, because he's been bouncing around as a backup the last couple seasons or a low-end starter, but I did love seeing that because guess what? I want all the best things in the world to come to Marcus because he absolutely deserves it. But I wouldn't expect that Bo Nix, you know, foregoes going into the NFL to be a, a coach. Now, do I think Bo Nix could be a quarterback's coach if he wanted to be one day? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think he's a perfect candidate. Just the way that, you know, he handles himself, the maturity that he has, the experience he has, the success that he has had, especially at Oregon. Yeah, I think he could do that if, if he wants to. But I also expect Bo Nix as, you know, the competitive guy that he is, to go give the NFL a real shot, see if he can find opportunity to start, or maybe he just you know bounces around as a backup, see some playing time here and there. I think that'd be you know pretty fun and interesting to see for us as Oregon fans, as it always is, to watch our hashtag products go out there and thrive in the league. So I don't expect him to come back uh, you know one day. It's not impossible per se, but I'd say it's pretty unlikely just because uh, so many things have to line up for for that to be the case. Next question here. This is from Mike talking about uh, the Pac-12, which, by the way, uh, something. Well, we'll get to the question first. Hi, Spencer. First timers question for the mailbag related to conference expansion for you. Why aren't we at least talking about adding Boise State and Fresno State? Both teams have great track records, play an exciting brand of football, and have beaten more Pac-12 teams than any other non-conference team. Non-conference teams. In recent history, he's referring, of course, to G5 schools. You can't forget to put San Diego State in there. They have seven wins against the Pac-12 since 2016. It's not always about the size of their home TV market. Fact check true, though it's a factor. Football fans will watch exciting games no matter where the teams are located. Both teams travel well, have former coaches in the Pac-12, Chris Peterson and Kalen DeBoer. Good point. Multiple player transfers back and forth between them in the Pac-12 and have played way more bowl games than San Diego State or SMU. 
Boise State earned it with their famous Fiesta Bowl victory in 2007. Best sporting event I've ever watched. Uh, I was not there in person. I'm just saying on TV. That's the best game I've ever seen. Maybe 2006 National Championship, Vince Young, USC. Maybe by a hair, but those are the top two easily. Uh, One of the biggest upsets and best college football games ever. Yeah, totally agree. Both teams have beaten very good Ducks teams twice. So this is a very interesting question, and I talk about this stuff all the time. Like Locked On Pac-12 is a football-driven show, but it's kind of realignment in football. Those are those are the big the big topics over there. So if you want more content on that sort of stuff, shameless plug here for the show, Locked On Pac-12, just like this show, available wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube if you're watching over there, Monday through Friday, all year round, talking about all, all that sort of stuff all the time. And it is indeed a really fascinating. So Here's where I stand on on San Diego State or on uh, Boise State and and Fresno State. I would love to add both of them. If I had my way as czar and all powerful being in college football without the ability to just keep San Diego or keep USC and UCLA where they are, I would like the Pac-12 to add San Diego State, SMU, Boise State, Fresno State. That is not going to happen. Now, Go check out today's edition of Locked On Pac-12 if you want full thoughts and reaction because it's literally a 30-minute show talking about San Diego State and the deadline of uh, of June 30th coming and going in San Diego State saying, no, we're going to stay in the Mountain West and what could happen next. All that can be found uh, over there. And that's the easiest way to get that information to you because I just can't do that in a short amount of time. But The answer to your question about why don't we look at Boise State and Fresno State, I would love to add them because of their football brands. I don't care about basketball as much, and their football programs have historically been very good, is the phrase that I have immortalized on a Locked On Pac-12 that my everyday is over at that show, and maybe there are some crossover listeners or viewers right now uh, tuning into this episode understand this, that I have stated repeatedly and will continue to reiterate until every single college football fan understands it. Presidents vote on realignment. I'm going to put it on my tombstone. Presidents vote on realignment. It's not athletic directors. It's not college coaches. It is not administrators. It's not donors. It's not boosters. It's not players. It is university presidents. And their interests go beyond athletics. Now, they include athletics. I'm not here to say every calculation that gets made in the realignment space is purely academic. It is not. However, to ignore the academic component of what takes place in realignment and why realignment takes place would be to ignore the entirety of the situation. So presidents, when they're adding a school to a university, that is an institution that they are associating with, not just a team that they are playing on the football field. It is a team. They're aware of those considerations. They'll factor in things like media market and TV viewership and brand and potential and all that sort of stuff. But the academic component is there too. And in the Pac-12, in this, our beloved Conference of Champions here, academics matter a lot to university presidents, which doesn't make as much sense to some people, which I understand, and I don't particularly care about them. However, they are worth a lot of money. If you are a university that has a certain focus on research dollars, on academic standing, there's a lot of money in play there. A lot. A lot more than what gets talked about in a media rights deal. Okay? It's not close. Just for reference here, just kind of some baseline numbers. 
the amount of research dollars you can bring in as a university. Oregon does not do a lot, by the way, as as a school. They're an AAU institution, uh, the Association of, of American Universities. It's kind of a, a group of schools that are academically aligned and they, you know, operate with the same vision and mindset to, you know, further, you know, research growth and all that sort of stuff. A lot of them are R1 institutions, research one institutions, which is basically how many dollars in research you are able to obtain on a yearly basis. The conference you are in greatly determines how much money you can have access to there. So for example, in the big 12, it is not an academically prestigious conference. It is the least prestigious of all the Power Five, and yes, that includes the SEC. They are able to do their their biggest research schools are in like the five to six hundred million dollar range, and they only have one AAU institution in there. Uh, one one's Texas and Oklahoma leave. I don't even know if Texas and AAU. I forget, and that's Kansas. They are not a big time academic conference, and that's fine, right? For us, sports fans, doesn't matter. For presidents, however, it matters greatly because the top schools in the Big 12 do five to $600 million a year. There are, th- there are four schools in the Pac-12 that do a billion, that's billion with a B, in research dollars for their school a year. A university president is in charge of that entire budget. So it's very elitist for sure. It is a very ivory tower because the amount of dollars you can get is is based upon kind of who you're associated with. So the presidents at, and, and by the way, USC and UCLA, great academic schools. USC is a private school. They both do a ton of research and they very much check that box for the Big Ten presidents who have some of the biggest research institutions in the country. But the reason, for instance, Stanford and Cal would never in a million years join the Big 12 is because very much so they kind of look down at them. They look at a, at a university president's level. That's how they feel. So Boise State and Fresno State are not big research schools. They are not great academic schools, and they don't pass the smell test. Athletically, they are there. But academically, they are not. And they are really not particularly close, which stinks. So barring a change in mindset from those university presidents, that will not change, unfortunately. I would love to add Boise State and Fresno. I think they are power five ready from an athletic standpoint. We've seen them compete. We've seen them win games. We've seen them be great. We've seen them, you know, pull upsets and all that sort of stuff. But that is why presidents vote on realignment, not athletic directors. And presidents' interests and responsibilities are much more multifaceted than those of an AD, a coach, or a fan of a particular school. So hopefully that all makes sense. And, you know, San Diego State and Boise, by the way, or San Diego State and and SMU, the top two targets there, much closer to what the Pac-12 was looking for culturally, academically, research-wise. They fit the bill a lot more there. So if you want more on San Diego State, what happened there, go check out Locked on Pac-12. Got a full 30 minute episode out right now wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube, uh, talking about all that sort of stuff and what could happen next. So let's end with a fun question, mildly negative, but I'm okay with it because it's important. This is a tough love segment for the Ducks. This is from Balin. All right, fun question for the pod. You've ranked your top five best uniforms ever, but what are your top five most hated slash ugliest Ducks uniforms ever? Thought this would be a fun twist. Go Ducks. 
I agree. Because if we're going to be the school, and we very much are, that outside of our own geographical footprint are at least known for one thing, and that's the flashy, awesome, great-looking uniforms, we have to be able to call out what is good and what is bad. And there's been a lot of good over the years. There's been some, there have been some whiffs. You have had some uniforms where they came out and you're just like, nope, nope, that ain't it. That's, that's not the best we can do. That's, uh-uh, no, that's, uh, no, we, we got to be better than that. I talked to a couple friends, bounced some ideas off them, uh, obviously big time Oregon fans, and, and did my own research as well on, and thinking about what I, what I did not care for. Here's my list. Curious as to your thoughts, drop them in the YouTube comments. I have these in order. Number one, 2018 against Washington. The big numbers and all yellow. So bad. Great game. Great day. Program altering. Horrible uniforms. We did not look good that day. That was not the best representation of Oregon uniforms. I hated the big numbers. I really didn't like a lot of the uniforms from the pre-COVID Mario Cristobal era. I mean, the nightmare green with yellow. I thought the Rose Bowl jerseys were good. But again, the, they had the big numbers too. Hard pass. Okay? Did not like those. That is number one that sticks out to me. I couldn't stand the way those looked. And then they had the black stripe kind of above the, the shoulder pads by the neck. And then the names were written in. The, I thought it all. I thought that was terrible. Number two. 2021 against Fresno State. There was something about that yellow-green-yellow combo that just didn't do it for me. I love the green and yellow combination Oregon has, but even look, if you're watching on YouTube, at the graphic on this show that we've put together here at the network. Shout out to Brian Levine and everybody else at Locked On for helping make that happen because it looks fantastic, right? And trying to give you all the best product possible. See how yellow is a complementary color? That's what it needs to be forever and always. Now, in the right form, it is a fantastic complementary color to the green. But see how this is all green heavy in the borders? See how the Locked On Ducks podcast logo, green heavy, yellow is complementary? That's what it needs to be. And that was just too much. It was yellow, green, yellow, and yellow numbers on the green jerseys. No, did not like those. Number three, and part of this was how the game went, but it was also what the, what it looked like. The Webfoots in 2016. Nope. No thank you. Please never do that again. We looked like the California Golden Bears. And I get what they were going for. But if you're going retro, you got to go 2014 retro. Because that is the stuff we want to see every single year. But the Webfoots with the blue and yellow, hard pass. Here's another one from that same season. See, bad uniforms, bad results most of the time. Like 2021 Fresno was almost really bad. Webfoots, horrible day. Oregon versus UC Davis ended up being a bad season. The worst of the century, really. That's the next uniform. Oregon versus UC Davis. It was all gray, kind of. Like the jersey was light gray, and then it had the yellow numbers on it. Didn't work for me. Didn't pop. Didn't like it. I'm okay with gray in the right context, but the gray and yellow just did not did not look great for me. And then again, on the yellow heavy thing, number five for me, 
if you if you go search Callan Clemens 2005, those jerseys when they were yellow heavy, just did not do it for me. And I I do not need to see something like that for a retro. If you're going throwback, you go 2014. Those are slick. We've had so many great uniforms over the years, but I was not a fan of those. Curious what all of you think. Drop your thoughts in the YouTube comments below. I appreciate everyone listening as always. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and a great rest of your weekend. And go Ducks.